When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you ideas for building happier habits into your daily life. This week, we'll talk about why you should try being a tourist in your own city. And Elizabeth, another exciting milestone is we have our very first interview. Yay! I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. And I'm not alone in this quest. With me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. Hi, Gretch. <laughs> I'm in a very celebratory mood today, as you should be, because our last episode put us over a million downloads. I know. That's so exciting. Yay. Yay. Thank so you, listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, it's incredibly exciting. Yep, uh, we've only been doing it for a few months. Yeah, I know. So here's to the next million. Excellent. Okay, Gretch, before we get into Try This at Home, I need you to do an update for us. In episode 14, you confessed to having hostess neurosis. You were uh, had your daughter Eliza's 16th birthday party coming up, and you were suffering some of the symptoms of hostess neurosis, which includes snapping at people, nagging. <laughs> so you you promised you were going to try not to, to continue with it. How did it go? 
You know, it went much better, partly because I had sort of said that I was going to be very careful not to indulge in hostess neurosis. I felt very much on the hook to live up to that. And I really did, whenever I felt that crabbiness and that, that impulse to just constantly nag take over, I reminded myself, it's supposed to be fun. No one's going to have fun if I'm throwing a fit. We had it at an arcade in Chinatown. And uh, like I was like, we need to have plenty of time so that I don't stress out if we if it takes a long time to get down there. So plan ahead so that you don't stress yourself. And indeed, it took forever to get down there. It's New York City. Uh, so that was good. Another thing is my husband said, Jamie, had said that he would deal with the pizza because we, we had to bring mm-hmm. everything into this place. And I, of course, was like, when are you going to get the pizza? Uh, what's the plan for the pizza? <laughs> is the pizza? Are you going to go get the pizza at 7 o'clock a.m. so that I don't have to worry about the pizza? And, uh, and he just <laughs> wasn't really answering me on that. And then finally, I was like, you know what? He's a conscientious father. He's a grown-up. He's far more like uh, ingenious with dealing with problems than I am. I'll just let him do it. And I'm just like, okay, I know you're dealing with the pizza, so fine. And I just let it go, which seemed very high stakes. Um, uh-huh, yes. But he got like three times more pizza than we needed. Uh, and, uh, and it arrived on time and it was amazing. So I worked on my hostess neurosis and I think it really did contribute to having more fun at the party, both for my family and also for me, because it's no fun to be marching around with a cloud. So thank you for helping me get over it. I'm, I'm very proud of you. And I have to say, I don't think I could have let go of the pizza order. So <laughs> you, you've gone further I, than I could. Because as we've said, this is a family uh, ailment. It's not just you. It's all of us. Aside from dad, he doesn't have it. Yeah, we got it. From, we inherited it from our mother. So um, uh, well, and, good. I'm yeah. glad to hear that. Yes. Oh, and Gretch, just one more tidbit I want to share. After I talked about my problems with sunscreen in episode 11, we had a lot of suggestions from listeners about good sunscreen and several people wrote in or left messages about a sunscreen. Um, It's Peter Thomas Roth Instant Mineral Brush on Powder. And so it's it's not everyone's thing was that it's not greasy because oh. it's powder. So I got some and I've been using it and it's great. I have it on right now. I put it on this morning. Very So thank you everyone for that suggestion and to anyone out there still searching for a non-greasy <laughs> sunscreen. It's the Peter Thomas Roth Instant Mineral. Excellent. And just to be clear, Gretch, this is not a sponsor. (laughs) We're not getting paid to say this. It's just that everyone happened to write in and suggest this sunscreen. So I'm sharing it. Uh, Excellent. Excellent. Um, So now it's time for the Try This at Home, which is the small manageable tip that that we think, you know, might actually end up making a big difference. Um, And this week, our Try This at Home tip is to be a tourist in your own city. But this sounds like a fun tip that I can get behind. Yes. And so the idea is, you know, for all of us, like you live in your hometown and you just take it for granted. It fades in the background. You never do anything. And we all have these plans like you need to go out and go to this far flung place and go on a trip. And when you do that, you know, you buy the books and you read up and you make plans and you talk to your friends about where to go. But for a lot of us, we could do that at home. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's not explored right in our own hometown. Yeah, especially, I mean, where you and I live, New York and Los Angeles, there's tons of stuff to do, Um, you know, almost none of which I've ever done in Los Angeles. Okay, if it weren't for going on children's field trips, I would never have gone to the Empire State Building or to Ellis (laughs) Island. I've never been to the Statue of Liberty. I mean, for a lot of us, we don't do these things even if we can. 
It's crazy. In fact, I've been thinking, you know, you and I do our yearly trips or we've you instituted this that every February we take a family trip together for a few on a long weekend. And I suggested that our next one be at a hotel in LA because I want to do, I'm like, oh, there's so much stuff we could do that we've never done. Well, and a lot of times it's the out-of-town guests that inspire you to do the things that you never do ordinarily. Yes. But, you know, what's funny is, like, you know, we say, okay, New York and L.A., there's plenty to do. And you think, well, some places, maybe you live in a place that's not as, you know, tourist-friendly as those. But, you know, I'm a member, Gretchen, of Bachelor Nation. I'm obsessed with The Bachelor. Yes. And I will say last season, The Bachelor was from a small town in Iowa, and they went and had dates in Des Moines, and there was plenty to do in Des Moines that was interesting and romantic and fun. Well, and we're from Kansas City, and, you know, there we both grew up there our whole lives. We go back there all the time, and there's still tons of stuff that we've never done. Like, I've been meaning to go back. There's that uh, Kansas City Museum that had that crazy igloo that you could cl- yeah. crawl into. I'm like, love that place. i got to go back. Or the Toy and Miniature Museum. Like, I think I've only been there twice in my whole life. Yeah. And I love miniature stuff. It's like... Why didn't I go that, you know, probably wherever you find yourself, there's there's things to explore. There's things to learn about. There's things to do. Um, if you just like make a plan to get out of your routine and just like the diner that you go to every weekend. Uh, my, my husband, Jamie, is really good at this. What he does is he'll find some cool restaurant or like a diner, or, like the place that's supposed to, allegedly has the best pizza in New York City. And it'll be like way off in Queens or deep in Brooklyn or some some neighborhood we've never been to. And it kind of leads us all on a field trip. And, and then we walk around the neighborhood and just check it out. And it's I really admire that he does it because it takes a little bit of research and, and then he has to, you know, rally us all out the door. Yes. Um, but then it's really fun. And we all remember, oh, that was the time when we went to that place that was under the bridge. It does make you feel so much more connected to the place that you live. And that in turn makes you happier because you have a re- richer, more meaningful experience of the place where you are every day. That's great. And the last thought on this is that uh, I love this quotation from Gertrude Stein. She said, anything one does every day is important and imposing, and anywhere one lives is interesting and beautiful. So I think that's like a nice a nice motto for this try this at home tip. So let us know if you do try this at home and how being a tourist without leaving home uh, works for you. Tweet us, Facebook us, and also go to my blog, uh, GretchenRubin.com. Every time we do a new episode, uh, I post a, I do a special post about it, and I have any like links or photographs, like the photographs of the before and after of Elizabeth's closet, which I loved. You know, a book that's mentioned. You know, anything, any kind of resource or just any additional information about the episode is there. And if you just look at the bar across the top of the of the site, you'll see it says podcasts. And then you can find all the podcasts that we've done. So, And we'd love to hear from people so you can comment there too. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, his retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And, Gretch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job. 
Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to StoryWorth.com happier. That's StoryWorth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. Elizabeth, it's our first interview, a milestone. I know. I'm so I'm excited, but I'm nervous. Even though you really have to do the work, I'm 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 nervous. No, I think it's going to be great. We have an excellent, terrific guy to be our first guest, Tom Rath. Uh, now, I have known Tom's work uh, for years. He's written many bestsellers, including the blockbuster Strengths Finder 2.0. And another one of his books was particularly interesting to me when I was working on Better Than Before. His book is called Eat, Move, Sleep, How Small Choices Lead to Big Change. And that was very reassuring to me because I had come up with my own belief that those eating, moving, sleeping made a big difference. And so it was very reassuring to realize that some other person had made the same conclusion. Um, but today he has a brand new book out, instant bestseller, huge, just like his others, that is fascinating called Are You Fully Charged? The Three Keys to Energizing Your Work and Life. And Elizabeth, of course, you know, our father is completely, he always says this idea of energy. Um, so Absolutely. That, yeah, so that jumped out at me right away, this idea of energy. Tom, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and thank you for being our first guest. Thank you for inviting me. So, Tom, for people who haven't read the book, okay, first spoiler alert, what are the three keys? Just what are they quickly, and then we'll ask you a little bit more about the book. Yeah, real quickly, the three keys for really having a lot of energy and well-being on a day-to-day -day basis, not at, thinking about the long-term things here, are doing a little bit of meaningful work today, having far more positive than negative interactions in a day, about 80% positive. And then the third element is ensuring that you put your own health first so you're doing the right things in terms of eating, moving, and sleeping well in order to do a good job of not only improving your own well-being but of serving others when you're at your best each day. Most of us go through our days, and we do all right. We kind of get by, but we have nowhere near as much energy as we could if we focused on some of the simple things in a given day that give us a boost in the moment. So when you ask people what they're doing at 8.15 in the morning and who they're with and how much they're enjoying it, there are all these new findings coming out about how we spend our moments and hours that can lead to better days. And eventually, I mean, it seems to me that What's most important over time is the accumulation of those moments and the accumulation of those days that really shape the quality of our relationships and our lives overall. Yeah, like Tom, I'd love to hear what do you do at 8.15 in the morning to improve your energy? You know, the, fir the first thing I do is, uh, in addition to trying to get enough sleep so the day starts off on the right foot, which is a huge one. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've been more motivated to get some activity early in the day after reading a study a few years ago that if you get at least 20 minutes of vigorous activity in the morning, it clinically improves your mood for three hours, six hours, and 12 hours. So that's just in a real practical sense. I know that I can be a much more active and lively dad with a four-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter if I get some activity throughout the day and I make the right food choices, then I can essentially be my best in that capacity at five or six o'clock in the evening. What do you say to people who are night people? who really struggle to get going in the morning? You know, I think everybody has their own types in terms, as, as you've highlighted and better than before. I mean, our motivations are so individualized that it's very, very important to recognize that. So because I 
read a lot. I'm kind of a questioner in that language. And uh-huh. Because I'm always questioning things, as soon as I have the data to prove that if I eat a lighter lunch, I will have better ideas and creativity at three or four in the afternoon, that gets me to do it. But for other people, they may be on a schedule where if they have more motivation to do a workout or get some activity at six or seven o'clock in the evening, it's important to note that that's still a lot better thing to do than skipping that workout or activity altogether if you do it late in the day. So I think we've each got to sit down and figure out how do we individualize that routine and build some of the right defaults into our day so it doesn't take as much effort to make the right choices. This is something that people, uh, I think, is always interesting, which is what came as a surprise to you while you were doing I mean, you're so steeped in this. You've been You've been a researcher and been thinking and writing about this uh, for years. Was there anything where you were like, man, I didn't expect to see this, or this study completely came out of left field to me as you were writing, or, or was it more that it was just adding more evidence for the kinds of things that you'd already concluded? I think I'd had this concept. You hear these big lofty terms like mission and meaning and purpose, and they feel like something that descend from the heavens on a beautiful day when lights shining through the clouds or or something that might take a decade to find in life. But as I dug into the some of the best research on this topic from Teresa Amabile and uh, others, yeah. it, meaningful work starts with small, tiny wins throughout the day. And you build on those wins, and that's what leads to real engagement in your work or career or being a parent or whatever you're doing. And so it's important to step back and recognize those small wins throughout the day and figure out how the things that you're putting effort into make a difference for another human being today, because that's essentially how we create most of the meaning that occurs in life. Well, it's interesting because I clerked for Justice O'Connor, and I asked Justice O'Connor what she thought the secret to a happy life was, and she said, work worth doing. Like in a flash, she didn't wow. even have to think about it. It was obviously something that was just... And I like the idea of just state, taking a step back and looking at yes. it so that you're sort of processing rather than just going through the motions. You know, one of the studies, there are a couple interesting ones we talk about in the book where uh, even, you know, radiologists who you'd think they're helping people to prevent uh, spread and recurrence of cancer, they'd, they'd see deep meaning in their life and do their best work. But in a simple experiment, when researchers appended a photo of the patient to that radio, radiological record, their depth and diagnosis of a, improved in accuracy by 46 percent when they wow. could see the person they when they could see the person they were serving. That's and almost terrifying. You, it, it is. And, you know, you see this with cooks, too. They make better food and they make healthier food if they can see the people who are eating it. It's so it's it, it doesn't wow. have to be that complicated. Absolutely. And and now that the book has been out in the world and it's, you know, been super successful and a lot of people have been reading it, um, is there what's resonating with people most? I mean, I know you're out talking to a lot of people and, and engaged with, with lots of audiences. Is it what you expected? Are you surprised by what people are, are, are sort of uh, glomming on to? You know, I've, I've been surprised a little bit by the uh, piece on meaning that we were talking about. But the other one that's been fascinating to me is there's so much great information and research that's emerged on the topic of experiences in our lives with other people. And so people are really latching onto that as well, where, you know, every, uh, to oversimplify it, every $100 that you spend on an experience with another person, whether that's a going towards a vacation or going out to dinner with friends or family members, instead of a material purchase, it just creates a lot more well-being for yourself and for others. And on average, uh, at least here in the United States in comparison to other countries, we spend far too much of our discretionary financial resources and income on stuff 
instead of moments with people. I was planning my honeymoon when my wife and I were first engaged, and I at first I'd kept this as a surprise because I thought there might be something to the element of surprise, but then I uh, changed course after reading some of this early work and uh, told her all about what we were doing and the ah. elaborate trip, trip that I'd planned about six months in advance. And, boy, I realized about a month later when I walked up behind her and she was looking at the beach on her laptop and telling her friends about it, what a good decision that is because it turns out we get more yes. well-being from the anticipation and independently from the memories of a trip like that than we do from the six or seven days lugging suitcases and uh, <laughs> spending on airplanes itself. So we, we can really maximize well-being if we plan in advance and structure things right there. I always try to tell my five-year-old son that anticipation is, you know, part of the fun, and he's he's not buying that yet. But <laughs> Nor my children. Older, he might understand <laughs> the beauty of anticipation. He's mm-hmm. just like, give it to me now. Like, exactly. I, I don't want to wait. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, the problem with experience, I think, in kind of in practical terms is a lot of times it takes energy to plan. Like, it's easier to go out and buy yourself a pair of boots than it is to plan a vacation or to even plan to go out to dinner with a couple other couples where it takes some emails back and forth and some logistical planning. And I think this way it gets all the three things that you point to, meaning, interactions, and energy, are sort of all tied together because even if you know that you'd have a bigger happiness bang for your buck by planning a fun outing, if you're too tired, you just feel overwhelmed. And you're like, I can't, I can't even deal with looking up what time the movie's playing. Um, and so not having the energy makes it harder to opt in for those experiences, which even though they bring you great joy, often come with some sort of time, energy, and money uh, investment at the beginning. To your point about energy, one of the things I've observed after uh, working on the book Eat, Move, Sleep and talking with uh, leaders and professionals in healthcare and other industries about that is that some of the people who I admire most in our society who are the do the most to serve others, they're the most caring, they're the most compassionate, and I see this with parents as well. Something they have in common is that they always put everyone else's physical health in front of their own. And while I admire that a lot and I understand it and I do it myself way too much, the problem there is that even if you just want to be your best as a parent or you want to right. be your best as a coworker or as a leader, you need to have the physical energy to do those <laughs> yeah. things well. And I've struggled talking about this with nurses in particular as a group where ah. s- sometimes they're so quick to put everyone else's needs ahead and they'd be better at comforting patients and comforting families if they started with some activity in their own energy first. That's so true because if it gives you the emotional and physical wherewithal to turn outward if you've if you've got enough sleep, if you've had a healthy breakfast, if you're getting enough exercise to give yourself that baseline of energy, um, so you need to take sort of it's that line that everybody's always quoting about putting on your own oxygen mask first. I guess if you take care of yourself, then you can then you can take care of others better. Yeah, I feel like in our culture, there's almost a competition to see who can sleep the least. Yeah. It's like bragging rights. Oh, I only sleep five hours yeah. a night. And, you know, and it's just I don't think it's something to be proud of, because also, in addition to the energy on the next day, it has long term health impact, too. Yeah, no, I, I don't want to get on an airplane tomorrow with a pilot who's bragging about <laughs> four hours of sleep. Or I don't, I don't want my daughter to show up at school uh, today and have a a kindergarten teacher who's getting by on three hours of sleep. But we don't want that in others. And so I think we've got to reprioritize that when we have conversations with our family members and with our colleagues as well so that we can kind of give people the time they need to be well-rested and to be sharp and to be their best at what they do. But we, I mean, that's, I think, two big problems in our culture right now kind of structurally. One is that we don't 
value sleep as an investment enough. We kind of think of it as an expense we cut. And the other one is, you know, we've almost completely, to, an, to a frightening degree, engineered activity out of our lives. And I've, I've seen that the two of you have talked about the treadmill desk, which yeah. I'm eager to hear how that's going so far. <laughs> I love my treadmill desk. Yeah, it's a huge life changer. Huge. You know, I've been doing that for three years now, and on days when I have to travel and I'm sitting around a lot, I almost feel like when I was really hungover in college or something because yeah. you just don't have that energy in the afternoon. Okay, so Tom, you've got a lot of resources and things for people who want to like follow up. They, there's the book, Are You Fully Charged, which just came out, uh, I think, a month ago. Um, what what else? Where else can people go and find more information if they want to follow up on, on on these ideas you've put out? Yeah, on the on my website at tomrat.org, they can. Uh, check out a little clip of it. The, there's a video documentary on Are You Fully Charged coming out that interviews a lot of these experts that we've been talking about today and encourage people to check out some of the resources there. Well, thank you, Tom, our first guest. And you were terrific. Yay. Thank you so much. And uh, good luck and uh, hope to talk to you soon. Thank you both so much and keep up all the great work. It's fun to watch and learn from. Take care. Thanks, Tom. Another way to reach us is to leave a voicemail question for me and Elizabeth at 774-277-9336 or mnemonically 77-HAPPY-336. All right, Gretchen, today we have a call from Becca in Berkeley, California. Hi, Gretchen and Elizabeth. Uh, I recently discovered your podcast and I love it. I have a question for you. I have this terrible habit of pressing the snooze when my alarm goes off in the morning. I can easily spend an hour or more doing this. It's really frustrating because I'm trying to form some habits to support my health and happiness, but I often end up sleeping through the time I've allotted to do them. I have no problem getting out of bed when I have a meeting or appointment scheduled, but when I'm trying to get up early for myself, it tends to be extremely challenging. My question is, how can I break my habit of snoozing the day away and show up for myself as readily as I show up for others? Thanks so much for the wonderful podcast. Uh, well, I can relate to this one, Gretch, because Adam and I are very deep into the snooze button. I know. I knew we were talking about this today, so I counted this morning, and I, I think we hit it five times. <gasps> uh, it's an instrument of torture. Ah. I know it makes for a crazy morning because then you, you know, then everything is so rushed. Yeah. But, you know, at, the funny thing about it is the reason this happens partly is Adam's always asking me to set the alarm earlier and earlier so that we can hit the snooze button longer and longer. So you're waking up earlier in order to snooze longer. Yes. And what I don't like is I'm the one in charge of the snooze button. This has fallen to me. Mm. So he'll just keep sleeping, whereas <laughs> I have to constantly be hitting the snooze button. So I feel like I'm actually getting less sleep than I would if I just set the alarm 20 minutes later and snooze less. Okay. Well, this is the thing. And research shows that it's you're losing sleep because you're fragmenting that last hour or 40 minutes or whatever it is. And so you're actually getting less sleep. Uh, you know, you'd be better rested if you just hit the snooze alarm like one time for 10 minutes because you're actually giving up that hour of sleep because it's not that high quality sleep. But snooze alarms are super popular. They, in, they did a survey and more than a third of American adults hit the snooze button at least three times each morning. Oh. So, so five isn't that bad. Well, I mean, but again, it's like you're giving up good sleep. I mean, both of you guys are already night owls and, and you're waking up earlier than you have to in order to just, I guess it's just sort of the luxury of knowing that you can lie in bed. 
Yeah. And, and I will say in, in favor of this is that sort of when the snooze alarm goes off, Adam and I kind of roll over and snuggle up together oh, in the morning. So it's nice. And that is a nice time, you know, to have together in the morning, right. which we wouldn't have if just the alarm went off and we had to spring out of bed. But for Becca, she's clearly an obliger. Yes. I think we can yes. tell. So what, I mean, there's the trick of putting the, the alarm, you know, on the other side yes. of the room. Yes. Which can work. But so here's an ingenious solution that an obliger emailed me. Um, so an obliger is somebody who can readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And that's just what Becca said, that when she had to get up for a meeting, she or you know somebody was waiting for her, she had no trouble getting out of bed. But when she just wanted to get up for herself to get going on her day, she struggled. So that's a very obliger pattern. Um, and again, if you want to know what an obliger is, uh, you know we've talked about it in earlier episodes. So this is the solution that this ingenious reader told me about that she does. She went on Hootsuite, which uh, is a social media manager that allows you to like queue up posts and to manage your social media. And she created a very embarrassing Facebook post that is set to post every morning at 6.15 a.m. It automatically loads. And so she has to get up every morning at 6 a.m. and disable it. Because if she keeps snoozing through it, this embarrassing Facebook post goes up. And I thought that high is... High stakes. High stakes, but also how ingenious is that? I was like hats off to the imagination and ingenuity yeah. of thinking about how to get around yourself. You know, it's like, how do you create that inner, inner external accountability for something that's an inner expectation? Do an embarrassing Facebook post and you will be springing out of bed. But the last thing I would say is, you know, one thing that helps, uh, and Elizabeth, I know I've told you this a million times, this is where my happiness bulliness comes out, is just to go to bed earlier. Yep. We talked about that in episode two. Flashback to me setting my alarm to go to bed earlier. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Now, for our 20th episode coming up, we're going to do a special episode to let listeners hear from other listeners. <laughs> That's right, Gretch. This is going to be a whole episode devoted to hearing from our listeners. We have like so many great comments and questions. We just want to go deep into them and do nothing but explore. Yes. So, and to sort of focus our episode, we are asking you guys to call in and respond to this question. If you could change one aspect of a, of a relationship, what would it be? Big or small, something huge or trivial. And this could be any relationship, your sweetheart, your boss, your coworker, your friend, neighbor, child, whomever. We want to hear what you would change about that relationship. So we can't wait to hear from you and to hear what you have to say about this question. Um, submit your comment by June 24th so we make sure we get it in plenty of time to incorporate it into the episode. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. 
LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, time for demerits and gold stars. Elizabeth, you are up with a demerit. I am, and it's um, it's a marriage demerit this uh, week, Gretch. Uh, for a change. Not, not surprising. I have a horrible habit of asking Adam the same question repeatedly if I don't get the answer that I want the first time. Ah, like what? Like, for instance, you know, anything from, I'll say, is it cold in here? And he'll say no. And then like two minutes later, I'm like, are you cold? And he'll say no. So there's that. That one happens a lot because we're, con- I'm, I'm always cold and he's always hot. And, you know, it's the thermostat war. No, I constantly am sneaking around Jamie's back and like turning off the air conditioning. Yeah, I've sort of just started doing that. But or it could be, you know, something big like, should we sell our house? Um, you know, say no. And I'll be like, you know, next weekend, I'll say, do you think we should sell our house? You know, or something like, do you think you should leave for work now? You know, because I'm anxious and he's going to be late. And so I'll sort of, ask, you know, and then it drives him absolutely insane because he feels like he's a grown man answering a question, why am I not accepting his answer? So I'm trying to cure myself of this, but it's really, really hard. I think it's it's deeply ingrained in me. So it sounds like in, in, in some ways, it's like a way to hint at what you want or what you think he should be doing, or it's right. a way to kind of try to lead a discussion in a certain direction. Yeah, it's really passive aggressive. Um, I think well, this would probably be the definition of passive aggressive. Well, I, I yes, I get that, but I also kind of think that maybe there's a way that like this is something that bothers Adam, and I think about this a lot. Like when somebody wants somebody else's habit to change, because it's really hard to change someone else's habit. Like he wants you to change your habit, and you're trying to change your habit. You're not having very much success. But maybe he should change his habit, which is in just instead of answering the question presented, like understand what's really happening, which is that you're saying, I feel cold or I think you should leave and answer that. Like, you know, it's like, don't therapists say like, you know, listen to what's not being said or, you know, because it sounds like he gets this pattern. And so he must realize this is what's going on. If you said, are you cold for the second time? Maybe he should say, well, are you cold? Because that's what you really right. want. Well, I think next time you're in L.A., we should all go out to dinner and you, you should present that to him. Yes. Yes. I will have my whiteboard uh, and my... <laughs> I've never noticed you doing that, by the way, but uh, I'm not married to you, so... Uh. Exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, that's my happiness to merit. Now, what is your gold star? Okay. This is like the most trivial gold star of all time and will make me look like the most small-minded person in the world. But I have to say, so there's this thing that just makes me so happy every time I use it. I, I want to give it a gold star. So in his old job, 
my husband would often bring home papers in these sleeve these kind of envelope sleeves. And so let me describe to you what this is. It's two pieces of clear plastic, letter-sized plastic that are sealed on two sides. And so it's open on two sides. So you can slip papers in. It has a little notch for your thumb so you can easily pull out the papers. And he would just throw these away because he'd bring them home constantly. And of course, I'm such an underbuyer that I would like pluck them out of the trash and put them in a pile in my office. But few things, I, I do love office supplies, as you know. Uh, yes, it's one of the do. things. It's one of the few things I really love to buy is office supplies. And this is like the office supply that I love more than anything because, because I, and, and I don't know if other people have like so much paper that they're managing, but I have like my schedule or like my show notes for our podcast today. I've got three of these things in my backpack right now and they just keep everything so organized. And like, if I'm leaving my office, I can just grab the thing and I know that I'm not going to leave some random piece of paper behind, which I hate, you know, like you get somewhere and realize that the crucial piece of paper is still on your desk. I just slip everything into these sleeves. I can keep them stacked up. I have a letter, like a letter holder, so I can keep them vertically on my desk. I feel so organized. I never leave anything behind. They're so simple. And yet every day I think this is just like making me feel like so organized. I love it. I don't even know really what they're called. They're like plastic sleeves. <laughs> So it's like you always say, Gretch, identify the problem. You clearly had a problem of keeping bits of paper together. And now that problem is solved yes. and your life has improved. <laughs> Which makes me sound like the most small minded person in the world. But I have to say it really moved the needle for me. What do you, so, so there you go. Gold star to plastic sleeves. <laughs> and on that elevated note, uh, that's it for this episode of Happier. Uh, remember to try this at home. Be a tourist in your own city. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. What's your city? What touristy thing did you do? And remember to call or email or post with your comments. If you could change one aspect of a relationship, what would it be? Husband or wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, boss, coworker, friend, neighbor, child, anybody. And if you can, try to keep your comments to one or two minutes so that we have time to get to a lot when we uh, do the podcast. And we'd love to get those by June 24th, so we have plenty of time to incorporate the comments into the episode. We want to give a big thanks this week to our first guest, Tom Rath. And if you're interested in knowing more about his book, it's called Are You Fully Charged? And we want to thank, as always, our wonderful producer, Henry Malofsky. And also, we want to thank Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer of Panoply. And if you do like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us in iTunes. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us Onward and Upward. This podcast is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at itunes.com slash panoply.